Welcome to episode number five of our five days of spring musky fishing talk. This week we are going to talk to Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie Guide Service. And obviously we're going to talk about Madison muskies, but this can be applied to, we talk a lot about water temperatures and, and weed growth and you know, bait fish, kind of much along the lines of what we've done this week, all week. And so we continue that today with Jeff Hansen. And like I said, hopefully this can apply to anywhere in, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, a lot of the places that, you know, the Southern states, they're probably past some of this. Well, actually right now they're maybe not depending upon how their temperatures are going, but anyways, so that's kind of what we're doing. Final episode, we will return to regularly scheduled Wednesday releases next week, but we wanted to do a little bit of something here to kind of kick off musky season for those of us that have musky seasons. It's coming up for many of us. Obviously, Minnesota has to wait a little bit longer, Brad, So, but pretty soon, well, I guess you're probably going to make a trip here south to go do a little fishing before that Minnesota season kicks off. Yeah, absolutely, Jeff. I mean, you know, it's been kind of a weird spring. Here we are. It's Wednesday two days before this thing airs and we just got dumped on the snow again this morning. So I don't know. We, we can't get through this uh, springtime without having a true spring. It's, it's kind of turning out to be anyway. Yeah, I agree. It's crazy. Yesterday, Brad, I got out of the shop yesterday. I made a trip South. I did a little bit of stocking with the Muskellunge chapter of Wisconsin. I believe that's who it was down there in Southern Wisconsin. I've talked about on past podcasts. I typically donate to a handful of clubs as long as the funds are used for stocking and that was one of them that we did so i got out but water temperatures down there brad for when we were doing stocking yesterday were like 41 degrees so obviously you know three weeks before the southern opener i mean we're talking very cold temperatures yet in the south so it was fun to get out though i got to talk to a listener and he was asking us what we're going to do for april I said, well, we've been doing it all week. So that would be my reminder. If you don't subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you typically listen to, you should do that because then it will give you a reminder typically that there's a new episode. So he was late. He missed out on the first two episodes. So I told him to catch up now on our five days of podcasts because occasionally Brad and I will throw out the bonus episodes. We don't do it very often. Obviously, we did it all week this week. But if you haven't already... Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening. Well, it's amazing how time just kind of gets away from you. And if you're used to the Wednesday recording every week that we do, you know, that's kind of what you're in tune for. And that's what you're looking for. Like you said, Jeff, subscribe. Boom. The notice comes out. You've got it all. Also, you can check out our Facebook as well as the Instagram if you want to stay in touch as well. Yeah, for sure. So, Brad this is it. I mean, this is the final episode. I kind of like what we did here. We've gotten some positive feedback on it. I mean, I would like to do this again sometime, but I'm not going to tell you that it's going to happen anytime soon because it's quite a massive undertaking for all of us, especially me because I'm doing all the editing. That's why I have, I literally just got done with Thursday's episode and we're, you know, it's Wednesday, like Brad had mentioned. And so now I got a quick flip this one around and get it rolling. And then I got to start to worry about next week's episode already. So this podcast has kind of been like a full-time job for this week, but it's been fun. I mean, we got a lot of varying opinions on, you know, how certain things, I guess, almost like debunked rumors from things that you would have potentially read as far as, you know, water temperatures, bait size, that kind of stuff. So it's been a fun week. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime that you kind of pick a topic like we did with springtime fishing, you're going to get a bunch of different uh, points of view from all different kinds of anglers from across the country. 
But I think if you just stuck to one state, you'd probably get some contradictory uh, statements between different fishermen as well. You know, everybody's got a different opinion, and a lot of those opinions are shared in this this whole week's worth of uh, podcast. It's kind of cool. That's for sure. I got one other quick uh, announcement, Jeff. Muskie Mayhem Tackle is going to do a Facebook Live on the 28th, 8 p.m. Central with Stuart Mays and Chase Gibson and myself. And I want everybody to join us on that. We're going to be talking muskies. We're going to be hopefully answering questions that anybody has out there with a couple of young guns that are relatively new to the sport, but ultimate great guides and definitely would like to have some people join us that evening. Sounds great, Brad. This intro got a little bit longer than the other ones we did this week. Kind of wrapping up our week-long, you know, podcasting, I guess, celebration, however, whatever word you want to use. It's been a celebration, of course. We're going to jump into that conversation that I had with Jeff Hansen with Madison Muskie Guide Service. Wrapping up our week, talking spring fishing, we're going to wrap it up with Southern Wisconsin. Last but not least for our week-long episodes is Jeff Hansen, Madison Muskie Guide Service. Jeff, thanks for taking time out of your schedule to come on and talk muskie fishing with us. So thanks for having me. Before we get rolling, Jeff, I know that availability, I believe you told me that availability for May is a little tough. What's availability for the rest of the season like, and how do people go about contacting you if they want to book a trip for southern Wisconsin, primarily the Madison chain? Yeah, my May is booked already, and I have two days left in June. If you want to book a trip, just go to madisonmuskyguide.com. My email and phone number is on there, and you can just email me and uh, look for available dates. My fall, I still have a fair amount of open yet. People usually book I don't know, about two months in advance, so I still have quite a bit open for August, September, October yet. So people can get a hold of me and, and figure out what dates I got for them. So, Jeff, I'm assuming that things in the Madison area are moving along. I'm guessing that you guys have had ice off for a little while. Why don't you kind of talk a little bit before we get into our talk today? What's the conditions like down there right now? Water's still cold. Uh, I had a friend of mine that was out of Monona yesterday. I said water temps were 44. Uh, I had a stone here yesterday. It's been crazy cold weather. Supposed to be warm this weekend, but boy, we've had a lot of wind and a lot of cold weather. And uh, we didn't have much snow this year at all. The lakes were really low last fall, and they still are really, really low. So hopefully we get a lot of rain the next couple of weeks because that would definitely help a lot of things with the fishing here and make a lot of the hazards a lot easier to drive over without hitting them because right now you can hit a lot of stuff on the Madison chain. Which is kind of crazy because for me up here in the, you know, I'm not quite northern Wisconsin. I'm like midway. We've had a ton of rain and like all the rivers are, I mean, I get a flood warning on my phone every single day for the Wolf River. So things up here are definitely, you guys could probably use some of the rain that we've gotten. We've gotten a bunch and it has, I mean, we even got a bunch last summer and we've gotten a bunch yet this spring. And then if it's not raining, it's snowing. So precipitation hasn't been a problem for us. Wish we had that down here. Our, our lakes are really, really low. Uh, last fall, a couple of launches were, I mean, just I had to back my, truck almost my muffler into the water i've never had that in my lifetime anywhere on the madison chain and uh that's the way it is right now i mean we had some rain last week but supposed to be some more coming tonight i I hope we get a lot here before may 7th for the opener so let's talk with our previous conversations we've had this week we've been talking a lot about water temperatures and how if you've 
you know, read magazines in the past 20 years or articles on stuff. It always talks about how important water temperature is and how you're supposed to look for the warmest water in the system. Typically fish the northern bays, I believe, is what it, you know, most of those articles talk about. How important is water temperature to your locations where you're finding muskies in the early season? On most of these lakes, I mean, you're only going to find a few small degree differences. And it doesn't play a huge part of where I'm going to fish. Yeah, I think it makes a difference. Maybe you can find some smaller, shallow bays, especially that have new emerging weed growth. If they're a few degrees warmer, yeah, that, that certainly makes a big difference for sure. Try and watch where the wind was blowing out of the day before and fish that end of the lake because that's generally where the warmest water is going to be is where the wind and current has been pushing into for the last day. That more than likely, that's usually a little bit dirtier water, too, than the, uh, the stain will have blown down to the other end of the lake. And that's, that's one of the other things I really look forward to is a little bit dirtier water because it can be tough to get them in clear water. So definitely, I mean, what, what I take out of that is you're actually looking for weed growth more than you'd be looking for, you know, water temperature. Yeah, I mean, if I could get into, we don't really have a lot of shallow bays or branched off small areas. I mean, our bays that we have are gigantic, so moving from one spot to another isn't going to really matter a whole lot from one end of the lake to the other unless we've had a lot of wind, um, and that'll move a lot of the, the warm water from one end of the lake to the other. So then, Jeff, the other thing we've talked a lot about is bait size. Typically, a lot of people sm- start small in the spring, and then they transition to larger baits as it goes on. Now, for you, you're one of the earlier ones, especially in the Wisconsin. You know, we've talked to a couple people, and or we've talked to somebody in Minnesota, and then we've talked to, like, Greg Thomas going south. So they're already, you know, the Minnesota guys aren't fishing, but Greg already has been. So you'd be one of the, I'd say, earlier Wisconsin guys because we also talked to Ty Senate up north. So you get started earlier than they do. Is that a rule that applies to you and your fishing? Do you typically lean on smaller baits in the early season? Yeah, you know what? I really do. I throw a lot of small stuff, the four, five, and six-inch stuff early, but not exclusively. They're suics, like a, a nine-inch suic. I mean, to me, that's not really that, that big a bait. Just not work fast. That's one of the bigger baits that I've done good on right from opener, but I do throw a lot of a, a seven-inch suics, too. It just depends on the water's clearer, then I'll tend to run the, the seven-inchers, and if the water's dirtier, then I like something with a little bit bigger profile. Well, I'll just kind of mix it up. I mean, yeah, I always have three people in the boat, so I'll have two of us throwing something small and one person throwing something big just to kind of dictate what the fish want. I mean, I've had a lot of days when fish will eat big stuff early. I mean, I'm not throwing pounders or anything like that. Bulldog-wise, I don't throw much for spring dogs here just because we have so many northern pike, they would just absolutely destroy them. So I'm throwing more of a regular-sized bulldog. To some people, that's a big lure. To me, not really. It's kind of the perfect size for me in the spring. And, yeah, I still catch a lot of northern pike on them, but the, the muskies really like to eat those right from the opener, too. So I guess kind of a medium-sized bait. Are you kind of, I mean, when would you say that you'd bring in bucktails into the equation? Is that something that you ever consider early season, like on opener, or are you going to kind of wait a little bit into May before you start introducing bucktails? really depends on water temp. The water is at least in the mid-50s, then I'll mix in bucktails. The small stuff, the uh, rabbit squirrels, especially the ones with single blades, uh, the five-inchers are, are really good early. Spanky's Firefly is another one that's, that's good early. If the water's been cooler than normal, then I, I, I avoid it a little bit, but 
then again, if you get a storm moving in or, or weather moving in and, the, and you're seeing a ton of fish on other stuff, and that's a lot of times when I'll have somebody switch to uh, a bucktail and, and bring it in a lot faster, and you just cover a lot more water with a bucktail than you can anything else. But so primarily you're going to be sticking to more of that, uh, some type of pause, some type of erratic action in your presentations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, baby squircles are a really, really good one early. Uh, like I had mentioned before, seven-inch weighted suic is just absolutely lethal early season, and then small twitch baits. I mean, I'll usually have one person throw some type of twitch bait, either like that MF Shad from Muskie Train is a really, really good one. The five-inch slammer, slammer tackle is a really, really good one. And a lot of times, the crazier you work them, the more action you're going to get on them. So if somebody throws something in that aspect, then I'll have somebody either throwing a baby squirko or a suic, and then uh, somebody else throwing something faster, moving along, just to kind of mix it up. And I'll have three different styles of baits going, let the fish tell me what they want. So Jeff, then the next thing we're going to talk about is you know like fish location, and I guess we'll talk we'll talk spawning first. So we've talked a lot about that in past episodes. Now, do you feel that spawning for these muskies is more of a a water temperature deal or is it more of a time of year deal? You know, like it's, you know, right now we're getting towards late April. Do you think the fish on Madison would have attempted to spawn already, even though water temperatures are still low? Yeah, some of them are getting in. I, I mean, to me, my, my personal opinion, I think it's water temperature related for sure. Two years ago, we had a really, really cool spring, kind of like this one, and there were still fish spawning on opener, which for the first full week of season, which I'd never really seen hardly at all in the past. So usually they're done by now. I mean, they're going hot and heavy normally by now, but I, I would much rather have the water temps be closer to, to 50 than 44, which that they're at right now. But we've just had such cold weather, so that's definitely slowed spawn down. I haven't been over to Winger, but I've heard some people said that some of the fish are jumping the dam there, which is a, a popular place for people to go see them early season when they're they're spawning here but I, i've heard of some there so i know some fish are going through the motions but i'd rather have it warm up a little bit and have all the fish be done with the spawn before our, our opener here but it's definitely for me from what i've witnessed is definitely water temp related to get these fish done with that spawn the other question i had you know was with other people is based on your estimation how quickly do you suppose those fish this primarily the bigger females do you think that they transition from shallow spawning bays to open water because i mean a lot of people there's that june open water bite for you in in the southern half of the state it may even come earlier potentially how fast do you think those fish transition from shallow to deep you know from where you're finding them up shallow and spawning to when you would be potentially targeting them out in deeper water they seem to move fast i think as soon as they get done with their especially the big big ones as soon as they're done spawning, they want to get out of there because there's boats and people messing with them if they're in that shallow water and they just seem to take off fast. And then a lot of what you're catching early season, especially if we've had a cold spring, which we have, is you're catching a lot of smaller males in the shallow water and weeds because most of those big females, in my opinion, have all left. They're not all. We can't say all ever, um, but a higher percentage of them have moved out to the deeper open water, definitely. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about, whether or not you thought if you were fishing some of those shallower wa- the shallower water, if you were going to be dealing with more of those smaller males yet, as opposed to some of those larger females. 
I would imagine this year with the cooler temperatures, though, it's possible that somebody's going to be getting a shallow pig early season. Yeah, yeah, there'll still be some big females in that shallow water, and you can always trick one of them into the biting a, a jerk bait or something, or if they're still in the area because they they still will feed some. So, you know, one thing we forgot to mention on bait selection, Jeff, was a topwater baits. Is that even a consideration early in the season? You hear people talk all the time. You can throw top water from ice out till ice up, and you'll catch muskies on it. Obviously, there you know there's the better times than others to be throwing them. Is that something that you even consider early season? Yeah, absolutely. I've had many years that my first fish of the year was was taken on top water. I mean, back when I was young and dumb, I used to launch the boat at midnight and be one of the first ones out there fishing. And there was a lot of times by the time it got light, we had one of the boat on top water in the dark when the water's cold. There's two baits I like to use early, and that is a regular size hog wobbler and then a small creeper. Hyphen makes a really good one. This is their straight creeper and their hog buster. I've caught fish early on those with low 50-degree water temps. Then once it gets lighter, I like side-to-side walk the dog style top waters. The one-eyed willy is a really, really good one. The one-eyed willy junior, I'm using kind of a smaller one. And you just got to work them slow. You, if it's rainy, overcast, and crappy, I will throw those all day long. You just can't work them fast. The fish will bite them. I mean, I've caught a lot of 45 to 48 inch fish the first couple of weeks of season on the one-eyed Willie Juniors. Uh, so, yeah, definitely can't rule out top water early. I mean, I'm not throwing top raiders and prop style baits. I have not had much luck on any of that. Um, but the slower moving stuff, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if the water temps are 45, 46, 47, I've caught them on the one-eyed Willie Juniors right off the bat. So, Jeff, let's go back to fish location. Obviously, you've been fishing the Madison chain for what seems like forever. And quite honestly, I don't know that there's anybody that fishes it that probably knows it better than you. I mean, you kind of have, I'm sure you have a milk run of spots that you're going to fish early season. Have you ever found where, you know, one spot's really hot this season, but next season, early in the year, you can't catch muskies there? Is that something that you see? Or is it pretty much like your milk run is your milk run and these spots are pretty much good every single year? That's a really good question, Jeff. That It changes constantly year to year. I mean, some of my spots i used to just absolutely slaughter them early in some of them it's been five six years since i've caught any fish there i mean the the weeds in madison are weird they seem to change so much from year to year and i'm sure that happens in a lot of other places and like i said with the water being low that water depth really changes from what the fish are doing too and affects the weed growth too so you got to always try new spots especially if you're productive spots where you're normally your milk run like you're saying it doesn't pan out for you. That's when you need to try new spots. Like last year, a couple spots that I found, I hadn't caught fish in in probably 10 years early season. So my other stuff was slow, so I went and checked them out and ended up having a two or three fish day in one spot I hadn't fished in a long time. So, yeah, it's definitely changes from year to year. Don't get stuck in a rut and just fish your same four or five spots every single time. I mean, if you're catching fish, it's moving fish, absolutely. If you're not doing very good, that's when you need to be checking some other stuff out. So that's what I'll say. Like, let's, you know, we'll go back to that kind of question. So last year you were catching fish on spot A. How long do you think you're going to try to hit spot A again this year before you're like, yeah, it's just not going to happen? Is there, you know, are you using your electronics to locate bait on those spots? Or is it something like you're going to go cast it for a couple days in a row? And if you don't move or catch something, it's time to cancel spot A off your off your list for early season for this, this current season. 
I'll still hit it depending. I mean, I have some spots that are big that take a couple hours to work. I mean, if I hit that a few times and spend a couple hours each day on it and don't see anything, then, I'm, then I'll avoid it. But some of the small spots, the fish can move in and out of, so they're they're worth worth a look. I mean, especially with just a 15 or 20-minute spot, those are always worth checking. But, yeah, definitely move around and, and try and hit spots that people are pounding on either. It's one thing here is that there's a lot of community spots, and most of the time early season, especially the water's clear, I try and avoid most of that stuff unless it's really, really good conditions or stormy weather or low light. Otherwise, I try and avoid all those community spots. Sure, and I mean, I would imagine in, you know, Madison, there's a lot of pressure, but the lakes are, you know, big enough. I would assume as you as a guide, you have some spots that are, I mean, kind of off the beaten path, stuff that you've played around on, you know, multiple times as opposed to, like you said, hitting all those community spots. Yeah, definitely. I got a lot of spots that other people either ignore or don't fish very often that I will go to first, especially on a Saturday when there's a lot of boat traffic out there because I'd rather throw at a few less fish that aren't seeing baits every half hour than getting on a good community spot where these fish are seeing baits every 15, 20 minutes and just getting snot pounded out of them. Just You're better off trying to find some unpressured fish. You're going to get a lot higher percentage of bites on them fish. So, Jeff, we'll move on a little bit to trolling and casting. The Madison chain offers an opportunity at fish multiple different ways. I mean, you can get them casting, you can get them trolling, you can get them jigging, however you want out there. Any which way you want to catch muskies, you can do it there. How do you determine, I guess, what you're going to do in the early season? Is there, you know, is is your casting bite, can it be decent right from the start or is it a water temperature thing? What would you recommend for people? And I'm not necessarily talking Madison chain. I'm talking anywhere in southern Wisconsin because if there's, you know, listeners in Fishing the Pewaukee Lake or Okachi Lake, I know those are all very popular lakes, you know, in southern Wisconsin, especially early season. Do you think there's a trolling bite right off the bat? And if so, how do you determine whether or not you're going to cast your troll? Yeah, I, I really think that there's a trolling bite anytime. There's always fish in open water. There's always bait in open water. You can always find muskies that, that want to bite in open water. Um, most of the time, early season, most of the people that have me hired want to catch fish casting. People usually tell me ahead of time if they want to cast or troll, and that'll kind of depict where I'm going to place them in the season-wise. I mean, midsummer, I'm mostly doing trolling, so people that want to troll, that's what I book then. But I, I certainly have caught a lot of big fish in May. I mean, I've caught 52 inches in May trolling. So, I mean, there's never really a bad time to troll. I just don't do a ton of trolling in May. I have a few trips this year that I will. I mean, people that hired me that want to learn how to spring troll, I'll certainly do that then. But yeah, I mean, big fish are accessible both ways. Just depends on locations and uh, what you want to do. I mean, but water temp wise, that fish will bite trolling anytime. I mean, one thing I would say for sure, Jeff, is based on my conversations with you, is how few people actually want to troll in general. Is that kind of how it is with most of your clients? They are not that much into trolling. Yeah, I actually had a guy call me for a trip last night, and one of the few days I have left in June is a really, really good trolling day. And I told him that, and he's like, yeah, I'd rather, let's just go in the fall, because I, 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 don't, I don't really want to troll. I'm like, man, I've caught multiple 50 inches that week, and a lot of 45 to 48s. He's like, I'm just not a trolling person. So, yeah, I mean, some people do, some people don't. I mean, I, I love to troll. You know, I catch a lot of big fish that way. Just some people would rather have the excitement of having them come in and bite on the figure eight, which I totally understand that. But you got to be able to do both, to put fish in the boat, so... It, it, it doesn't matter to me. I just kind of let my clients decide what they want to do, and uh, we'll do it. 
Yeah, obviously, I've spent a lot of time in the boat with you, so I understand like how, I guess, how adaptable you are. I mean, and and how dialed in you are with the fishery. I mean, like you said, you know, like oh, hey, this is a very good week. I've done really well trolling with it. Like that's something that you know, is pretty, I guess, I don't want to say amazing, but like how, how well you're dialed into that fishery and how you almost like know where those fish are going to be at any given time. Yeah. I mean, I've been musky fishing here for 38 years. So I've got, I couldn't even imagine how many hours on the water here. So I've been in every single circumstance possible and every scenario that I've been through. And I could, that's amazing. The memory I have for stuff that, I mean, People that have fished with me for over 20 years, I can remember a fish they caught with me 20 years ago. It just blows people's mind. I, I just have a, a really, really good fishing memory and can remember stuff that worked many, many years ago and put it to use to me now. Yeah, definitely. It's it's like I said, it's crazy how how well you're dialed into that fishery. I mean, it seems like I'm, you know, you're one of the few guides I talk to that are like, ah, oh, it's kind of a tough day. We only saw four and caught two or whatever, you know, things like that. It's just amazing how your, how your expectations are. Obviously I don't want to set unrealistic expectations. I'm sure you have a few days where you catch, you know, where you, where you have a tough day, you struggle and you don't catch any, but it seems like those days are few and far between with you. Yeah. I mean, if I average my trips out for the whole year, all on an eight hour trip, I'll average to a trip. I mean, some days you get five, five or six and some days you get any, I mean, very, very rarely. Do I have a day where we don't at least get one on? I mean, that's very, very, very rare. But maybe you have a crazy cold front day where it's 30 degrees cooler than it was the day before. It uh, can be tough to get those those fish to bite, especially if you're get like bad cold front day and you have somebody that hasn't worked slow-moving jerk baits before or the baits that you need to trigger those fish to bite, then it makes it tougher to get fish in the boat if people aren't really good with the mechanics. I mean, certainly they takes a little bit longer for them to catch on than, than guys that have been doing it for a lot of years. We'll get back to the trolling thing, but since you mentioned cold fronts, that's one thing we hadn't really talked about this week on podcasts. I guess, what would be your advice? Like, let's say somebody's coming up to fish and there was a cold front. I mean, granted, now this year, everything seems like a cold front. What would be your yeah. advice to fish location during a cold front, you know, for fishing? Again, we'll just, we're talking to you about the Madison chain, but we're more or less relating it to the entire and well, I mean, we could relate it to anything, even northern Wisconsin. The water temperatures are going to be similar there. So your anglers around the state of Wisconsin and Minnesota, if you've run into a cold front early season, what's your advice to them with that? Yeah, I mean, cold front fish are, are tough to bite, to get to bite anywhere, no matter where you're at in the, in the United States or Canada. For me, my best luck is one of two things, either fishing super heavy weeds, Johnson Silver Minnows or Dr. Spoons. I mean, very. I've talked about using those for 30 years and very few guys do. They're small spinner baits, like the smaller ace tandems or whatever. Just bringing, making contact with the thickest cover you could find is one really good thing. And the other one is on breaks or, or deeper water where you know that there's fish is making contact with the bottom with either like regular size bulldogs with a weighted leader on them to get them down or small straight, straight crankbaits are good for that too. And, uh, uh, big joes are another really, really good one for cold fronts, but either making contact with either the bottom or structure. If you're in an area that's got timber, those fish will lay tight to the timber. Or if you got some deep, deep weeds, making contact with those weeds is critical. And I couldn't even tell you how many times during cold fronts that I've got a fish to snap. And when you brought the fish in, it had a mouthful of weeds 
that uh, even if your bait's got weeds on it, those fish will hit it. But making contact with structure or weeds or whatever you got will piss those fish off and get them, get them to bite. But you just can't cover a ton of water and you can't fish faster in those cold fronts because you will not get those fish to bite. All right, Jeff. I know we kind of jumped around a little bit. I want to swing back to trolling. So we hear about anglers in the south. And when I say south, I'm talking like Illinois, Kentucky, Ohio, you know, even some of those guys in Pennsylvania, I believe too, they'll dial up smaller crankbaits and they'll crank up the speed. I know typically you air with a higher speed than what I would say I'm comfortable with. And most anglers would be is speed something where you're going to definitely be right out of the box. If you're going to be trolling, are you going to be dialing up the speed a little bit? For me, Jeff, it's more about water clarity. If the water's clearer, then I'm definitely going to be staying around four miles an hour. I don't care what the water temps are. If it's dirtier, then I'm going to stay closer to three and a half or three, four, uh, right in there. So for me, it's it's more water clarity than anything else. Because if the water's, you see 20 feet deep, you know, those fish can see for such a long ways, you don't want them to get a good look at the bait. So I'd, I'd rather go just a little bit faster, tend to get more bites that way for sure. Okay, so your speed's dictated by water clarity. That's obviously helpful. One thing I will say, Jeff, is how you're definitely, like I said, for a Wisconsin angler, you're kind of like the anti-Wisconsin angler. We like to troll a little bit slow. I remember specifically the one time I was out with my daughter and my son, and I was texting you about things, how I'd seen some bait, and I've seen some this, and and you were like, well, you haven't gotten bit yet. How fast are you going? And I was like, ah, like 2, 8 to 3. Now, this is kind of late November, and you're like, speed it up. You're going way too slow. And I was like, what are you talking about? And you're like, no, get it up to like 3.4 or something like that. I don't remember the exact number you told me, but you're like, dial it up. And it wasn't more than whatever hour and a half later, I had a muskie in the boat. And so the, I, I know that about you. You're definitely not the typical Wisconsin guy when it comes to trolling speed. You're, you're more than willing to dial it up a little bit. Yeah. I'd rather uh, move along faster. I mean, one thing you're putting your bait in front of way more fish and increasing your chance to bite but a lot of times there's like I said if that water is a little bit clearer you want those fish to make a they'd have to make a fast decision and eat or not eat so a lot of times if you're if you're out there for a few hours and nothing's going don't be afraid to speed up I mean that's definitely the, the way I'd go I wouldn't definitely not slow down if you're not getting bit then then try speeding up and that uh, a lot of times will we'll end up triggering some more strikes so Jeff you know the one thing we're talking about with bait location i'm talking regular your your lure location are you trying to keep your lure running higher in the early season when you're out trolling or you think or is it a kind of watch your bait fish and try to hit those you know depending upon how deep those schools are down you're going to be running them at about that depth yeah man you said it exactly kind of watch where the heaviest concentrations of, of bait are i mean when i'm trolling with customers i'm typically running six rods so i'm usually running a couple planer boards and four four bolt rods, two long rods or out rods, and then two down rods. But my planer board stuff, I'm keeping up high and keeping up away from the bolt, particularly if it's calm. The calm days are generally when your planer boards are going to get hit the most, and your rough days is when your bolt rods are going to really be going, uh, particularly with your down rods. But with the six different rods I got out, I'll be running stuff from five feet high down to 20 feet deep. Um, I just mix it up and that's where line, line counters are key, so you can duplicate exactly what uh, what happened. I mean, if you got a bait that gets hit that's 10 feet down, then I'll put another one 10 feet down. When it gets hit, hit again, then I'll end up running three or four of them at that depth because you, you kind of got it dialed in at that point. But some days it's tough. You might only get one bite. So better off having six baits at six different depths because 
there's no exact rules of, of what the fish are going to do. I mean, one minute you think you got to figure it out, and they, they do something else on you. So if you're pulling multiple baits, have do not have all of them, or two of them even at the same depth until you've got something figured out where those fish are. Give them lot, lots of choices. You know, I will say if you're a listener and you're looking to learn how to troll, whether it be in southern Wisconsin, northern Wisconsin, Minnesota, it doesn't matter. I would definitely look up Jeff to do it because, quite honestly, Jeff, I mean, I th- I think that you're super knowledgeable about it. And you're definitely not afraid to play around with, I mean, lots of different stuff, weights, baits, everything, sizes, speeds. I mean, you, you've been able to catch them multiple different ways, even just in the few times I went trolling with you. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be willing to, to, to play with stuff. That's nice about being able to run six lines is I can run five that I got high confidence in and then put something out that uh, is something different that the, the fish haven't seen or that, that they might want. That's a lot of times when you get a really, really big one on it. Well, I mean, I know, like I said, just an experience I've had with you, it's you're, you're not, you're making changes pretty frequently. I mean, if something's not working, you're not putting out six baits, running them at a certain depth and then running around all day long, you're always working. You're always trying to get something going because I mean, I'm assuming since you've fished it so long, you have so much experience there. You always know that there's a fish somewhere that's biting. Yep. Yeah. No matter what the weather or what conditions, I mean, there's always a fish that you could find to bite. I mean, yeah. Some, some days are bad and you don't see very many, but you can always end up finding there's a hungry fish somewhere. So Jeff, I got a couple more questions, mostly relating to, you know, season prep, which I'm sure you're, you're uh, in the thick of right now. And then the outlook for the season, but let's talk about what do you think the biggest mistake is anglers make for early season fishing? Using way too heavy gear, uh, well, without a doubt. I mean, I'll have, I try and discourage people from bringing their gear because I have everything set up the way that I want it. I mean, all guys show up the first week of May with nine foot monster heavy rods with big gigantic 240 pound liters on them and, and all that and that just kills the action on a lot of the small baits that I'm, I'm, I'm using early I mean, i'm using a lot of medium heavy rods i mean the two main rods that i'm using in the spring is a seven six medium heavy that i'm throwing the baby squircles on the uh, small suics any of the small jerk baits or some small twitch baits and then i use eight six medium heavy that i'm throwing a lot of the like rabbit squirrels and seven dogs and twitch baits and stuff like that on there and Using small, the stealth tackle, but a uh, spring leader that's a really, really good, just a six inch, small, 174 pound uh, wire leader with no uh, swivel on there. Nothing doesn't kill any of the action on any of your small baits. We just really got to downsize. Uh, line wise, I mean, years ago, I used to spool stuff up with 50 or 65 pound braid, but nowadays the 80 pound diameter braid is so thin. I mean, I use 80 pound high C's. I put that on all my reels and I use that the whole season long. I don't I don't downsize thinner line anymore. I just don't feel that I need to anymore. But the leaders and your rods, those are very, very, very important to uh you try to use a little bit lighter stuff early in the season, especially in some of these small baits that have so smaller hooks on them. You just end up pulling hooks out of fish if you're using just too heavy a gear early season. Yeah, I won't disagree with you on that. It's quite honestly it's amazing how many leader options there are and i know you talked a little bit about that and we've had john betty from stealth tackle on a few times talking you know pairing up this leader with this bait and how important some of that stuff is obviously some of it doesn't really matter in my opinion if you're ripping rubber or you're throwing rubber baits you know a regular bulldog i think you could use most any leader that you wanted to in, in a lot of cases but you know like you said those those smaller baits those 
just how leader sensitive they are. You know, like that MX4 from Muskie Train you had talked about, you know, you'd, I saw you doing a pool demo with it probably three, four years ago. It's before I even carried it and like how awesome that bait looked and how you told me how key the, the leader was because of how much it will change the action just based off of that stuff alone. Oh yeah. 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 MX4 is a really, really good, good one early. If you're trying to use a regular 12 inch leader on it, it just kills the action on it. I mean, I've had customers that used them with me and they didn't pay any attention to what they were taught at the boat. They go out and use it. And like, oh, I haven't had any action on it. And then they tell me that they're using it on a 12 inch, 150 pound fluorocarbon leader. That's just on a small base that just kills the action on them. But yeah, you just use that small six inch spring leader with hardly any weight on it. And those MX4s work really good on it. Same thing with like the baby squircles that night and day difference or, or any of the small reason phantoms or any of the little glide baits just the amount of action that you get with that little spring leader is just night and day versus trying to use something big and heavy yeah i've seen that definitely as a, a case in in multiple things i've tried to use and obviously i've been doing it long enough so i kind of have things down but i would say your your newer angler maybe doesn't realize how important some of those smaller details are you know just and then and also some people just think yeah i just throw a a fluorocarbon leader on every single bait and I'm good to go. Whereas, you know, obviously, like you said, those glide baits are definitely, I don't use fluorocarbon leaders for any of those glide baits. It's always steel. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. That's people that have like, for example, the baby squircle up customers that have listened to my seminars or whatever, like, Oh, I, I bought them. They, they, they don't work. And then I'm like, well, our next guide trip, bring it along and I'll, I'll bring it along and I'll throw it on one of my rods with the right, with that spring leader and, and, throw it out they're just their jaws drop they're like oh my god how are you getting it to do that like well, what were you throwing at and they're like every single time it's heavy leaders or, or fluorocarbon leaders those those baits were not designed or meant to be used that way you got to use those medium heavy rods that's really important too those extra heavier monster heavy jerkbait rods those just kill the action on them little little glide baits you need that soft tip of the medium heavy rods and that'll get them little gliders shooting side to side particularly on them on those baby squircles you know, Jeff, the one bait you did mention was a seven-inch weighted suic. What kind of leader are you using on that? I mean, is that as sensitive to some of these leader options? Yeah, absolutely. That, I've used that same spring leader that I'm throwing the baby squircles on, um, and on that seven-six medium-heavy rod. I'm using that also. I like the weighted ones better than the unweighted ones. And then, uh, have you seen the suic video that that Jeff and I did years ago on, on tuning suics or how to use suic? You see how I, I cut the tail on the back end of those suics. I do that with the seven inches too. And then that gets them going a little bit, bit side to side. But, uh, I do particularly well on seven inch suics or early season and, uh, leaders make a big difference on those two. Yeah. It's a good thing you mentioned that video. It's been a little while since we shot that. I don't know how long ago we did that, but if you do want to learn a little bit about how Jeff works a suic, check out our video on YouTube. We've had, uh, it's been a little bit of a delay since I've had videos on YouTube. I have a few more things coming, hopefully. That fish that I told you about a couple years back with my son, I still haven't put that video out. And he's like, Dad, are you ever going to edit my video? And I'm like, yeah, eventually I'll get around to it. So I do have some more stuff in the vault, I guess, that I can use. But, you know, fortunately, things have been so busy for the last couple years with guys out buying gear because everybody's been on the water. But I haven't had a lot of time for that extracurricular stuff. So this podcast has been number one for my content. So we'll we'll get back to some of that stuff soon. But if you, in the meantime, if you want, go check out our YouTube. Check out that video from Jeff. And, I mean, Jeff, you and I have had a lot of good days. I remember one of our videos we had, heck, I don't know, what was it, like 10, maybe we have 10 fish or 12 fish that day. I can't remember. Uh, we fished seven hours and we got 10 that day. Yeah. 
And then we got, I think we actually quit early so we could shoot some of these videos on how to work a suic and all that stuff too. So I could only imagine right. how many we would have got if we would have pounded it all day. It would have been unreal. Yeah, yeah, we ended up making four videos of four different baits that day. The, the fish were really biting. And that still was probably, if not the best day I've had on the water, it's definitely one of them. I mean, we've had some good days, but that was pretty incredible. Those fish were just charged up, and they were just crushing things. It was awesome. Yeah, we were doing demonstrational videos. We probably would have caught a few more. Exactly. All right, so Jeff, right now I'm imagining we're a couple, three weeks out from season opener. Your podcast here is the last one for the week-long series on spring fishing, and it's actually shot the or We're recording this as close to. I mean, it's only the Wednesday before this one comes out on Friday. Uh, so I'm guessing you're probably knee-deep in season prep right now for anglers looking to get out on the on the water if they haven't already, because some of our listeners have already. What are some things that you look to do for your early season prep? Actually, I just, just told Jeff a little bit ago, I just dropped my bullet trailer off at my mechanic to have him pack and grease the bearings and check my brakes and all that. And that's really, really important to do. I mean, my boat trailer is only a year old and my mechanic called me right away. So yeah, it's a good thing that you brought this in here. You would have made it through the season on, on your bearings. So definitely do not overlook your trailer maintenance. Go through your trailer, make sure all your bolts and nuts are tight. Check your brakes, rotate your tires and, and bearings. I just cannot emphasize enough that that will ruin your day if you don't take care of that stuff. So that's a lot of people don't think about that, but really, really important to, to make sure everything on your trailer is good because uh, you got to take, take care of your stuff and uh, it'll last you a very long time. But otherwise, I just started putting all my rods and reels together and checking all my line, re-spooling all my line, definitely sharpening lots of hooks. Yeah, going through all my gear, uh, making sure everything's in, in, in top notch shape. I mean, if any reels need to get re-spooled, then I re-spool them. One thing I do is throughout the whole season, a good habit to do is every time you go fishing, cut and retie. It just blows my mind how many guys I talk to that snap baits off or have fish break their line. I couldn't even tell you the last time I had a fish snap off or, or break my line because I am very, very, very anal about retying. I mean, every day that I back my trailer in, first thing I do is get out of my truck and go back. And every rod that was used that day, I cut four or five feet of line off and retie them every day. You will never, ever have a line failure. I mean, you're really, really good with that. I mean, between, you don't know if I got nicked by another hook or by a fish rolling in it. And the worst thing on a lot of those gears is UV rays. I mean, so even stuff that you didn't make a lot of cats with that was sitting in the sun, it is a very, very good habit to peel off, like I said, a few feet of line every time that you fish and cut and retie. I would say it's definitely not a tip that we've had anybody talk about before. Anybody asks me what's one of the most important things you can do is is retire, retire, retire. My my uncle that got me into musky fishing uh, many years ago taught me that maybe 40 years, 35, 40 years ago that re every time that we I went fishing with him, we cut and retied before we started fishing. And that was ingrained in my head since I was a kid. Jeff, one of the things we mentioned was sharp hooks. And earlier this week, we had an episode with Phil Bowerly talking about sharp hooks on a larger bait primarily the phantom hex and how brad was having issues losing fish on it and his hooks were razor sharp and then he had gotten a tip i believe it was from matt seifert to not sharpen the hooks just use stock hooks as you know as like i said factory hooks no sharpening on them and he said it increased his hookup ratio on those on trolling baits only he wasn't talking about casting lures 
I'm assuming you don't use like a larger bait, like a headlock and a matlock. And second of all, have you ever not sharpened your trolling hooks? Never in my life. I mean, I, I sharpen everything and what those guys are talking about, I've never seen anything or heard anything like that before. I, I guess any, anything's possible. No, my, if you can't scratch, if your hook cannot scratch your thumbnail, it is not sharp enough. If it does not stick or bite in your thumbnail when you run it across it or one of your fingernails, it is not sharp enough. Yeah, they, you know, Brad and, and uh, Phil, they were mostly talking about larger baits. Like I said, it was mostly that Phantom Hex, which, uh, and a lot of those baits have a lot of walk. So I wasn't sure if that had something to do with it or not, but I figured, hey, we might as well talk to you about it. I know for, I know based off of what I, what you and I talk about, you're typically not leaning towards, you know, those 10 inch hexes or, or 10 inch matlocks and that kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean that you don't use some of the, some bigger baits. I know there's times where you tell me like an MX nine from musky train, which I wouldn't say it's a giant bait, but it definitely profiles a little bit bigger is definitely one of them, you know, a staple for you. Yeah, de- definitely. I don't use them much in spring. I'll use the MX four, sixes and seven and a half most of May. But in summertime, I will have an MX nine out every day, no matter what. And some of the biggest fish that I've caught on them, I mean, I probably had more over 48 on that bait, particularly during the summer than, than any of my other baits. I mean, that is a bait I got a lot of confidence in that when it goes by the pig, he's going to eat it. I mean, I've caught a, a lot of big fish on, on MX-9, but just early season, I don't I don't run a lot of big stuff. Walking, you mentioned like baits that walk, the crazy train from Musky Train is kind of a smaller shad bait, and that bait walks. Um, that was, was particularly good for me, the, the little amount of trolling that I did last spring. So that's been a really good one. But uh, most of the stuff I'm trolling early season is, you know, in the five to seven inch range. All right. So, Jeff, we kind of covered some season prep. I threw a curveball at you there with uh, sharpening hooks on trolling baits. And let's talk a little bit about season outlook. So, you've been fishing, you know, muskies in Madison for whatever, 30 plus years. You've obviously seen late springs before. What do you suppose if if you're obviously we're this is a crystal ball thing? If you're what's your best guess for we'll say early season outlook in Madison or southern Wisconsin or I mean anywhere basically, like I said, it's all it's all kind of gonna tie together. But uh what's your early season outlook there? And what do you think we're gonna be looking at for a season in general based off of what you've seen with a slower start to the season with this late spring we've been seeing? The start will be slow two years ago and it was like this it was slow but yeah we were catching fish but again like we talked about earlier a lot of it's going to be smaller males some of these fish are still going to be spawning it's going to be a little bit longer before those big females recoup and are are, are willing to feed so late may will definitely be be better i mean the, the fish are definitely going to be catchable right away but the the fish that are spawning and whatever are, are going to be a little bit tougher to catch so be, be a little bit slower spring than, than normal, I think. I mean, the first couple of weeks, fish will be biting. Just not, you're not going to have four or five fish days, and you're not going to be catching a lot of them over 40 inches long. It'll be a lot of mid-30 males, 30 to 36-inch males is, is what's common in the first couple of weeks of season, definitely for me. Will this late start to the season, and I don't want to say late as in like it starts later. It's obviously the water temperatures aren't where we want them to. Weed growth probably isn't going to be. Do you suppose it will end up eventually catching up and things will normalize, or does this kind of have a lingering effect on the entire season? Not necessarily good or bad, but does it typically have an effect on it? The only way that it has for me 
is like what happened last year is we had a perfect, gradual, steady, normal temps and increase. Then all of a sudden, that was July 7th, 8th, 9th, it was 95, 96, 97 degrees, and our water temps skyrocketed to 80 faster than I've ever seen before. And that seemed to have screwed the bite up for the whole entire season. I was talking to Steve Herbeck about this about that this winter too and he kind of said the same thing that years of stuff like that happens fish never situate where they're supposed to be they never do what you you want them to that i mean a couple other times that's happened in the past too it made for for tougher seasons uh fish don't set up the way that they predictable the way that they normally do you get steady temperature increases and go into a normal summer then things will be awesome if you get that crazy hot water it'll just screws those fish up in my opinion and they don't do what you want them to. I mean, that's what happened last year, made, made for some tougher fishing. Sure. And then obviously, you know, like you said, we're basically just shooting at the hip here because it's late April. And so for us to predict on what's going to happen in, you know, June, July and August with the weather, you know, we're just, you know, kind of just throwing stuff out. But so I guess that may, that does make sense. And I think we can all agree though, if we can see typical normal weather, and I don't even know what that is anymore. Cause it seems like every year it's we either get late springs or we get super hot summers, but you know, if we can get a normal weather that can, can just make for a much better season than lots of wild swings. Yeah, definitely. The stable weather is key in, in musky fishing. I mean, they're never easy to catch, but stable weather definitely, definitely helps the bite. Well, I mean, that's even like, well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, fall last year, Jeff, I obviously we're talking spring fishing, but you know, last year, fall, it was warm all the way through October, but I think, you know, typically when those water temperatures are starting to slide off like they should in October, that makes for a much better bite. And that's just another example of how weird things were last year. You know, the previous year you were telling me how unbelievable your October was, but the October before, I mean, those temperatures were in some cases, they were plummeting faster than you would have thought they were but they were definitely not as warm as what we were last October. I mean, that weather was unreal. And you said that the previous year when we had more of a normal October or fall, you know, your fall fishing was a lot better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That year before, the turnover happened in a matter of two or three days, and that's the best possible thing that could happen, period. It gets the the turnover done, the the lake stabilizes, and the fish start start biting. The up-and-down temperature swings that we had last year where it was, I mean, I had days at the end of October, I was wearing freaking shorts, and, the, and that never happens. Our lakes didn't turn over here till November. I have never, ever seen that in my life, and I hope I never, ever see it again. It made for just plain crappy fishing in November, period. Uh, fish just didn't set up where they normally would on a normal no, normal turnover year. The bait didn't do what it normally would. Everything was just absolutely scattered. So I know a lot of people had horrible, horrible falls here last year so. Like you were saying the year before, I mean, you you were out with me one day trolling after turnover, and, and we got a big fish, and I was on a streak of big fish almost every day. I mean, they were where I needed them to be. Uh, they're a lot, lot easier to catch when, when they're where they're supposed to be. Just another example of how if we, I mean, in a picture perfect world, we'd get a nice gradual warm up in the in the spring. We would see it stabilize through the summer months, and then we would see a nice you know drop off in the fall. And then life would be good. Unfortunately, it seems like that happens maybe once out of like 15 seasons these days. It's it's always something else, right? Yeah, the, the weather swings that we've had the last few years is just absolutely crazy. Well, Jeff, 
I know you're, you know, like I said, we were talking about preseason prep. I know you're knee deep in it because you're going to be hitting the water in about three weeks. For people that do want to get in, in touch with you again and get out on the water with you this year, which I highly recommend. I mean, quite honestly, I've never seen, I shouldn't say never seen, the most of the guides I deal with are very good and they're very punctual, but I never had a day where I was fishing with Jeff and he wasn't sitting there in his boat waiting at the launch at 5.30 in the morning. That's the only negative for me as I drive down, so I got to get up at like 2.30 in the morning and when you go to bed at midnight, that sucks, but other than that, Jeff... I highly, like I said, I highly recommend anybody look at Jeff for a trip, especially if they're looking to get out in southern Wisconsin. So, Jeff, what's the best way for them to do that again? Go to my website, madisonmuskyguide.com. All the information you could possibly need for a guide trip with me is there. Tons and tons of pictures of, of clients. With, I mean, hundreds of pictures of fish with uh, clients of caught. If you want to look at what's available to catch here, you can certainly go on my website and see that. And then any information about any guide trips, my email and and phone number on there so people can reach me to, to book a trip and get out in the boat with me and, and learn a lot about musky fishing. So, Jeff, just to clarify, is that M-U-S-K-I-E or M-U-S-K-Y for musky, Madison Musky uh, Guide? Musky with a Y. Got it. And I know, Jeff, I don't want you to brag too much, but in a typical season, what's the average number of fish you put in the boat? Usually over 200. Last year was the first year I didn't put 200 in the boat in 15 years. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the numbers, like I've said it before on this podcast, a lot of those southern fisheries are really good, but in my opinion, the Madison fishery is a very special place. It ranks up there, in my opinion, right there with Green Bay, because not only do you have a chance at numbers over there in Madison, Jeff, you also have a chance at some really big fish. Yeah, we, we took a little bit of a hit here, unfortunately, with the year that COVID was going on, bad 2020 when nobody was working. Everyone was fishing, and unfortunately, a lot of guys made very, very bad choices during the summer and were fishing in 84, 85, 86-degree water, and they killed an absolute load of fish. So I can definitely tell last year that there's a few few less fish, but the Cap City chapter has done a, a really good job stocking fish here, so that, that should rebound quickly, but they, they definitely took took a hit. So you guys really got to be pay attention and not be fishing in, in water cups that are too hot. I mean, if you're not working and need something to do, go catch some panfish or something instead of killing these, these muskies, which a lot of guys did here, unfortunately, in 2020. Sure. Yeah, that's disappointing to hear. Fortunately, I know the work, you know, the Capital City chapter does with them, and we've been involved in, in stocking now. We've donated funds to them a few times, and we're going to do it again this year, you know, to help with the stocking down there. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll get that fishery rebounded, you know, in short order, but I know the pressure's there. I mean, that's one thing about it. Big fish and lots of fish definitely, you know, brings pressure from all over. And for you guys where you're located, you also pull a lot of people out of Illinois too. So, I mean, there's no shortage of pressure in Madison, which is why I think it's even more impressive with how many fish you put in the boat. But then again, you know, I've said it all along with Pewaukee Lake too. Pewaukee gets a pile of pressure, but those fish still eat there too. So I think sometimes the pressure bothers us more than it does the fish. But, you know, like I said, there's also opportunities for them to be caught, even though there is a lot of pressure. Yep. Yeah, definitely. All right, Jeff. Well, I'll let you go. I know that you're busy and, you know, we're, we're just about ready to kick off the season for you. Busy time of year. So I want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule. Come out and talk muskies with us. And I want to thank all of our listeners for, you know, putting up with us all week long. I know we've been doing this for an entire week and we'll get back to our normal one day a week release schedule on Wednesdays. We'll get back to that next week. 
But we want to thank everybody for that. Thank you again, Jeff. And we'll catch everybody with a new episode again next Wednesday. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate it.